Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. This week's episode comes with a bit of a warning. In here we're going to be speaking about depression, we're going to be speaking about eating disorders and we're going to be speaking about loss as well. So there's a lot in here and I just want to give you a bit of a heads up that some of these topics are going to be in here. There is so much incredible value to be got from listening. So take your time and listen with somebody who can support you as well. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Dawn Breaks, and I am so excited to welcome Jude, who is joining me today. So, welcome. Thank you. How are you? How do we find you? Yeah, good, good. Just come back from a holiday and raring to get into work. Okay, nice. Good, good, good. So I know that you know a little bit about the podcast, Jude, but what I like to do is go back to a time when things were potentially quite difficult for you or you were feeling a bit vulnerable or finding things particularly difficult. I wonder if there's a time that you'd be happy and comfortable to share with us. I mean, for me, it all happened pre-25, I would say. For me, like all the kind of low moments Mm. to that point where change has to happen. Yeah. So the the leading points that came to the lowest moment were if we start, I'd rather start when I was 11 because it leads up to the low moment, I guess, and how bad it kind of got. So 11, picture the scene, you've started secondary school. For me, I loved primary school. It was like the best time ever. Like I genuinely thought that that's how life was, was that was primary school. was like (laughs) loads of friends, like teachers pet, like, you know, I wasn't academic, definitely not. And I could kind of sense that. I didn't realise that until about year six, when you start to get separated into ability because you're Mm -hmm. not so next year meet up until that point <laughs> yeah. I realized I was on a different table with my mates now this doesn't sound traumatic I appreciate but I think it'll resonate with a lot of people when you mm. understand how it made me feel so I'm sat on what they called the square table it wasn't square um, <laughs> and all my mates were on the triangle table mm-hmm. and I just remember they looked like they were having so much fun and I felt like I was just on the thick table like it wasn't my mates it wasn't Mm. I felt like they were doing different work to me as well and although I'm you know 11 at that time your brain is still working in overdrive your brain Mm -hmm. is still going why are you not on that table what's going on so then you get to secondary school once you've worked out the hierarchy of what band you're in even though it's not for us, it definitely wasn't one, two, three, four, five, mm. six. It was done in letters to try and make it easier. But you knew, you could tell. Yeah. So I knew I was like towards the bottom. I was third from the bottom, I think. And all my mates were in the top band. And okay. I just felt lost. And it was big. It was scary. It was, you know, for, similar to most people, it was a very tiny primary school with only a handful of classes to then this really daunting secondary school. So now it's been confirmed. My limiting belief of I'm thick has been confirmed because I'm in nearly the bottom sets in my mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. The homework felt overwhelming like I just felt like oh my god I can't even do this this is meant to be like for the thick people in my head and I can't even do this so I would rush done hand it in and you know I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know that you know when you believe something your thoughts about it you take actions on that and then you get the results you imagine my thoughts were I'm not smart enough yeah and then my actions were to just quickly do the work handed in Mm -hmm. So 
you're not going to get great results by doing that sort of <laughs> that sort of action. Um, so therefore, results not great. You know, distinctly will still stand out in my memory. Mister Smith saying, oh, "Red pen in my work, please see me." Oh, the, no. that, the, can you imagine it? Like mm, we can all kind yeah, of feel relate to that. It's like oh my God, no, I was a good girl. I was the teacher's pet, you know? And and, and to have that on my work was just debilitating. Mm. So I started to get these pains in my tummy. And my mum was the most caring woman. She was just, at any sign of, of illness, she was there. She was like mm. wrapping you up in cotton walls. Oh. Stay off. Don't go in. You've got a poorly tummy. Stay off. Well, that was great because I didn't have to go in. Now mm. I've got this pain in my tummy and I don't have to go in to school. So then the thought of then going back into school, the pain got worse. It was like the mental connection to the physical as well. Of course. So take the whole of year seven. And I was back and forward at the doctors now because it didn't go away. <laughs> like the pain was still there. So we had about a year going back and forward of me just yeah I've got this pain in my tummy the doctor's not really known what it is not asking the right questions as well Mm. because you know I'm 40 now so back then you know thank god we've moved on so much mental (laughs) health is not talked about especially Mm. for an 11 year old and I didn't have the language either I didn't have the words to go I feel really sad like Mm. I feel like the world is a really daunting place and I don't want to be part of it. Like it was really bleak for Mm. an 11 year old, really, really bleak. Now, if you ask any of my friends, because it's not like I was walking around without any friends. I had mates, yeah, at school. However, if you would ask them, I was the smiley one, Mm. you know, I was the happy one. I was that, 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 you know, painted on smiley face. But at home, everything felt really dark and really painful. So obviously, they did tests. I had a, a, an endoscopy where they put the camera down. Gosh. They found something. They found the start of an ulcer, a stomach ulcer. Wow. Which, if you were to look into that again, you know, and I've done a lot of research on this since, that anxiety causes a lot of acid in the tummy yep. area. That's why people get IBS. Yeah. And that was what was causing this stomach ulcer, but nobody thought to ask, no. is she struggling or anything? The only thing they did ask was, because I wasn't eaten, I was incredibly skinny. I think they thought oh I was gosh. anorexic. Okay. So that was the only question I did get asked, but that wasn't even on my radar. Like I no. didn't, I just, my mum would take me to the supermarket and go, just pick anything, please just pick anything. I just want you to eat. And I felt so sick I couldn't eat. So I would say that was definitely one of my darkest times because I would cry so much oh. and nobody knew why. And I didn't have the the, the words either. Mm. So I think I just got on with it. Like I was mm. forced into school because, you know, they realised there was nothing medically, technically wrong with us. So I was forced back to school. And because you're forced into a situation you don't want to go in, eventually you just find some coping mechanisms. Mm. Then scroll on a few years, when I was 15, they eventually diagnosed depression. Okay. I don't really have a memory for how that eventually came about. I just Mm. know I remember being 15 and getting put on antidepressants. Wow. Um, But that was around the time that the guy who I thought was like the bee's knees (laughs) around, around where I lived, who I absolutely put on a pedestal, and we'd started to become friends. It was like, oh, maybe we should start dating. Literally was like the best moment. <laughs> you're struggling in depression. Mm. But then the guy who kind of turns around and says, oh, well, I want us to date. And I just was the happiest girl. I went oh. from being sad to the <laughs> happy, genuinely the happiest. Oh. And... We were young, but like very much in love, very much childhood, first love, like obsessed with each other. He would finish work, like he was a few years older than me, so he drove. So he was like 17, I think, 18. He drove and sometimes he would like surprise us and pick us up from school. I'm getting picked up from school by my boyfriend. (laughs) Like it was the best. Super cool. Yeah, super cool. Like... (laughs) Like, I remember that distinctly being on the bus 
and not realizing that he'd come to pick us up and he, his car is following the bus and I have to tell the bus driver to stop because my boyfriend's behind and I want to get out of Colin's car. <laughs> the best. But unfortunately, I didn't I didn't know that as I was coming out, as, as he was helping me out of the depression, I didn't know he was going into depression. Mm. And we had about eight months together of being in this amazing relationship like we were so in love like we were engaged like there was a ring involved like it was that yeah and I didn't know he was going into depression and he um unfortunately took his life um yeah and it was tough because you go from just feeling like the world's not a great place and it mm. feels really sad and it feels like this dark cloud. Mm-hmm. Someone takes you out of it and then you drop straight back in right. but from a bigger height than you ever expected. Yeah. So that was incredibly tough. So I would say that was the second toughest moment. Yeah. The first one was, was definitely year seven. And then the second one was, was the bereavement. Oh gosh, it's and huge. then it, it's huge. Yeah, it's someone of that age as well to go yeah, through. Yeah, huge. And and I look back now, and I feel so sorry for her. However, I look at the strength she had, and then you know, even now with my clients, which I know will come on a little bit about the work that I do. But mm. clients have been through trauma. I guess what we don't realize is that we're actually wired to deal with trauma. We're very mm. good at. You know, if somebody said, oh, my God, I don't know how I'd cope if. Mm. Yeah. And actually, when it happens, you just do. You just do. Because what else are you going to do? You Mm. know, like I had to just get on with things. So there's a period where I don't I don't really remember. I'm kind of just existing. But I remember, you know, I went to college. That was very much just I felt like I slept my way through college because I would Mm. go in. Mm. get these blinding headaches which I now know of like a, a symptom of my depression because it's like a migraine right. and then I think oh god I have to go home so I went from having a pain in my tummy to then right. one in my head as a, as a physical mm. symptom mm-hmm. I would go home and I was lucky I scraped through college but one of my brilliant assets is I'm really good at talking so, okay. so the thing <laughs> that I loved to do was I wanted to just wanted to be a window dresser like right. that's all I wanted to do okay. right I'd seen my dad's next door neighbor she did it I thought it looked like the best thing ever and I thought oh wow I'm really creative I would love to do that mm. and I remember working at next part-time and begging the store manager for this four-hour position a week to clean the windows okay. right and the reason why I was begging for, for it because if you clean the windows like where the mannequins were and stuff yeah. like that you trained on how to dress them mm-hmm. I'm with so you. I knew that I was like and he was like well she'd have always already given it to someone else and I was like oh come on please and he ended up putting us on a rotation I mean <laughs> god love it begging for a cleaning job for four hours however I got to know the team really well who dressed the windows and then do you know what scroll on so that was like 18 scroll on I'm now 24 and I have just shot up in my profession like I am about four or five levels way above wherever I thought I would be wow. I just wanted to dress a window I wanted to be a window dress and I wanted to dress mannequins I wanted to be able to like strip a window put it back together and go wow that and like yeah. take my mum to the metro center <laughs> I did that yeah, yeah yeah and do you know what I was really good at it mm. so I ended up just like working for a company for about a year get a bit bored and think oh that looks like a nice shiny job over there mm-hmm. apply for that and then all of a sudden I've now got a team of five people I don't dress the windows like I am now somebody who talks about the design of of the the layout of the shop Mm -hmm. yeah so Mm -hmm. so my team they have an area say Scotland Mm -hmm. and they would have to go around all the stores in Scotland and just critique where they've got certain levels of stock what's the best sellers what the merchandise and techniques basically Mm -hmm. so that store could make loads of money and I managed that team of people. So I had about 200 stores, Scotland to Birmingham and Ireland. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you can imagine 
this was way beyond my comprehension of what I could do. I had a mortgage at this point. Like I was doing to the outside world. I was storming it. Right. On the inside, I am that 11 year old girl who doesn't think anything of herself. Mm. So irrelevant of the fact that I've now got this title. I was like one of the youngest grade threes in the company. I worked for Monsoon. Big shout out if anyone still works for them. <laughs> Loved working for Monsoon. And one of the the youngest grade threes in the company, I remember somebody at head office telling me that, that there was only three of my age in, in that wow. in that bracket. And the whole of the company, head office included. Obviously that didn't help my anxiety. Um, oh, and yeah. I would get up in the morning and this is my third lowest moment. This was the pivotal point. I would get up in the morning and just think, oh my God, I've got to drive three and a half hours to Peterborough. What was if I get there and I have no idea what to say? Mm. What was if I can't add any value to that store? And bearing in mind, because I had that many stores, for someone at the level that I was at to do a visit, you might only see me once every three years. Mm-hmm, right. Because I would really only prioritize the flagship stores that were mm-hmm. taking money. So they would see us a bit more often. Mm-hmm. And then maybe any struggling stores. And then the ones in between, they'd get a visit once every kind of two, two to three years. So it was a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. like, so they would prepare for that visit. Like they would have people in the night before, like, making sure the store looked amazing mm. and I was just driving that three and a half hours thinking what was if I get there and I can't add any value and then they're thinking what was the point in her coming like mm. what was the point she's not giving us any that this was the mm. whole story in my head it was mm. the classic imposter syndrome yeah, yeah? now as with normal imposter syndrome nothing ever comes to fruition all the stuff you're worried about never happens I would mm. always get to a store and have something to say yeah. I would always be able to add value but I hadn't done the internal work so it didn't matter that the facts stacked up against what I was feeling and thinking mm-hmm. so now I am um, I'm in a different space in terms of what that anxiety and depression looked like and how it was yeah. manifesting because everything fell out of control now okay. because there's more to lose. When I knew I was a bit of a, I don't know, it sounds really detrimental what I'm going to say, but when I knew I was a bit of a loser, I had nothing to lose. Do you know what I mean? Because I hadn't tried. Mm. I hadn't done anything to the, my best of my ability to lose anything. Right. So now I've got this job where like everyone thinks I can do it. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, I could fall from a very great height here. And that's something that's already happened to you as well. So in a different emotional capacity, and of course you're scared of it. It's a huge thing. Yeah, because my setup looks like when something good happens, something bad follows. Yes, or it gets taken away in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't expect good things to happen to me. It just didn't. That wasn't our family motto at all. You know, it was like uh, uh, the, the things that were kind of said around our house were bad things happen in threes. So if one bad thing happened, you were looking for the next two bad things to come. Mm. You were waiting and ready for it. You weren't sitting in a place of life's amazing. Yeah. Like you were sat in a place of let's just fear the next bad thing. Right. Um, and obviously bad things had happened. So it had mm. been confirmed. Mm-hmm. I had a, a really good kind of factual evidence to support that theory of mine, yeah. that belief. Now you kind of look at it and I'm like, really struggling and it then turned into an eating disorder oh gosh okay so if you imagine from the age of 15 to what we're 23 at this point I'd had loads of therapy yeah because because I had loads happen there was therapy for depression there was therapy for bereavement Mm -hmm. um there was talking therapy there was a priest at one point because I wanted to leave school and school were a bit nervous because I was in sixth form right. and school were a bit nervous that I was making the wrong decision based on what had happened mm. and to the priest. And like, so I had everyone talking to everyone and nothing worked. And now I'm like doing really well for myself, thinking I should be grateful. And mm. I am inside. I feel like everything's out of control. I was a big procrastinator around that time. I was last minute Sally on everything. Yeah. So therefore you're overwhelmed because you're yeah. procrastinating and mm. everything out of control. 
and then my eating got out of control because I would just bear in mind I was this skinny girl at school I could eat anything because I wasn't really eating anything Mm. and now I was eating everything and then make myself sick I was very out of control Mm. that thank god like how lucky am I like I say this with genuine gratitude I was so lucky that point came when it did because that was the moment for me where I was like this is not my story I am not the girl that's going to keep making herself sick Mm. I have to find something that's going to work for me because no other therapy has worked my mum who worked she was a secretary to doctors there was support for if you were anorexic but there wasn't really anything for bulimic back then mm. and depression in our family ran through it like a cold like you were gonna get it it wasn't okay. it wasn't a shock if you want antidepressants if anything it was just like oh yeah go to the doctors get some tablets like mm. it was just mm. a given you know my dad had a stroke when he was 39 oh, wow. um caused by stress mm. then to be able to come out of that was you know, really struggling with his mindset, you know, had to have a carer just to to help him go to the shops sometimes, just a support worker. Mm-hmm. Not because he couldn't walk, but mentally because yeah. he was so yeah. fearful he was going to have another stroke. Yeah. And I'm 40 now and I think, oh my God, to be 39 and stuck in that mindset. Like mm-hmm. I see it now as an adult, but as a child, I just thought that's the way it was, that people were unhappy, you know, mm-hmm. my... Roma was a very angry woman. My mum was on antidepressants. Like, I was surrounded by, I don't want to say the word negativity because my family are the nicest people. The nicest people. My dad is church going. My dad will do anything for you. My mum would have gave us the last penny in her purse. No matter what was happening with us, she would have given us a last penny. They just came from that generation who was conditioned to think scarcity. So now they're in scarcity. So it's very much glass half empty, very much so. So there was depression elements running through, but the thing that didn't run through was eating disorder. So even though I could talk to my mum about anything and she'd be my rock all my life, to then talk about an eating disorder was just uncomfortable. It wasn't something we could openly discuss. And obviously she gave us a few leaflets that she got from work, but there was nothing. Right. So again, thankfully, I opened up to somebody at work and I was like, I just feel out of control. I just feel like I'm really struggling here and I don't know what to do. And she said, oh, such and such a single life coach for confidence, but maybe they can help. Mm. And again, thank you so much to that lady who said yes to me even though she was like I've never dealt with anyone who's had an eating disorder before but I'm guessing that's not your problem I'm guessing that's just an outcome of where you're at interesting work together and see and obviously she was right you know there was the eating disorder wasn't the problem it was just another physical symptom of my feelings and thoughts inside And if you don't do the work, you carry them around like a backpack of feelings and thoughts. So so from the age of 11, I did not empty that backpack of not feeling good enough. I did not do any work on that. Even just the outlook on life, you know, like I always say this to people, be careful what you watch and read, because in my family, when we were growing up, and this was most families to be fair, because Sky had only just come in, hadn't it, right? Sky and Cable. Yeah. I did my mom and yeah. Cable. It had only just come in. So the likelihood is you were sat watching Emmerdale, Coronation Street, East Enders, Neighbours, all on rotation. It was yeah. all on, yeah. on a night time. Now, what happens in those shows to those people? When something good happens, something bad follows always because it's a drama drama has to happen in those shows so when I'm sat there as a young child thinking life is really awful Mm, like and hard and hard and a 
struggle because I, I heard those words all the time it's mm-hmm. a struggle you know my dad's business was a struggle it didn't matter whether it was performing or underperforming it was a struggle we used to say you know church going so we'd say mum and dad are separated by the way so on a weekend with dad he would say a prayer so let's just say a prayer that dad's business gets more working because it's really quiet at the minute and honest to God, four weeks later, we'd be saying another prayer for it to get easier because there was too much work on. There was never an in-between. There was okay. never gratitude. It was mm. just all or nothing. It was like there's too much work on. Dad's working too hard. You know, let's pray that it gets a bit easier at work. And again, you hear all that. So it's just all conditioning and conditioning. And if you're then as an adult and you've had all of this conditioning and you haven't done anything to unpick it, that's how you see the world. Your thoughts are based on the world around you. You make your beliefs formed on the world by the time you're about eight. Yeah. So whatever's happened from that time onwards just confirms all of the thoughts that you have because you only ever look for the things that confirm your thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a great quote, I think, by Eckhart Tolle, where it's it's never the situation, but your thoughts about it. I'm sure that's Eckhart. Yeah. Um, and it's so true because I've still got, you know, trauma that might happen in my life now, but it's how I respond to it is so different because the world is never going to be like an amazing place. But if you cho- only choose to see the bad stuff, that's all you'll ever see. So that mm-hmm. turning point for me when I got the the life coaching was huge so if you imagine my third worst moment was actually the pivoting point for my best moment then on so how lucky was I to get coaching at 23 24 and I say that because that's worked for me okay like I'm sure there's many other forms of therapy that work differently for other people but that's what worked for me and that was hands down life-changing I'm going to pause in case you've got any questions now, because I feel like I've just been talking at you for so long. <laughs> no, that's absolutely fine. Like it's been such a, a such a journey. And you're totally right about you need, we sort of needed to know the context of one leading into the other to the other, because they're all so interconnected, aren't they? And it starts yeah. to make sense about what happened to you, you know, in your 20s when you know the earlier context as well. And I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm really blown away by how much you went through and like you're talking about here that sort of resilience window aren't you about how much capacity you have for tolerating stress and and there's so much important stuff in what you've said about what we take in all the things that we hear in our family home environment in yeah what we learn in school and things like that up until those sort of really pivotal ages and then as you say, looking for that evidence to support what we've already learned or understood about the world. And then it takes a lot of work to begin to unpick that. And I'm really interested in what you said about the third worst moment, you know, the, the this first point when you were very young and then when you were a teenager and then when you're in your early 20s. And I do feel like that is sometimes the way it goes that we get these waves of really difficult times and then things have to get to a point where you're not prepared to tolerate that, like something has to change because this is just too painful. And sometimes we have to get to that really awful point to then make a change because it's just too uncomfortable to stay. Even though change is difficult, staying in that situation is harder and it sounds a bit like that's what it was like for you. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I mentioned the bereavement because obviously it was a big part of my life. However... I would say I coped with that way better than I could cope with the thoughts in my head about myself. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, the, the point that I mentioned, we're wired for struggle. We can deal with that. What we can't deal with is the thought in our head. Yeah, like you would think looking back, the worst thing that I could imagine happening happened. Yeah. And yet I'm still worried about what, you know, Sandra thinks of us in the Peterborough store. Mm-hmm. Like it's nuts when you kind of like, if you level that out, it's yeah. crazy, absolutely crazy. And it's not just worrying about other, what other people think, or oh, that's a huge part of it. Mm. It's the approval of others. But mm-hmm. ultimately it was because I didn't approve of myself. I didn't right. think I was good enough. Right. And right. that has 
to come first because there's no point in trying to switch off thinking about oh well what do the people at head office think or or um did I mess up? I should have said this. I should have said that because it's irrelevant unless mm. you're grounded in knowing like, actually I'm really good at X, Y, and Z. Right. These are, develop- these are my development areas. I know I'm not hundred percent perfect, but I'm working on them. Like that is groundbreaking. That's life changing. If you can get to that point. And I guess that's the work that I did in life coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the coaching journey was, a short time in my life but the biggest impact interesting because what I then started to do was to realize oh there's another way to think like you really don't have to think about worst case scenario you really don't have to think about that if something good happens something bad always follows and Mm. I started to rechange my thought process and I did a ton of reading any positive mindset books you can think of I read them (laughs) bear in mind I'm not a reader I wasn't academic remember like I'm not a reader so it was a struggle to read those books however that was really really like again life-changing for me and then when I was 30 I would say if if we come out of the tough times and we look for life-changing moments I remember being 30 so I've had seven years now of Mm -hmm. like thinking differently Mm -hmm. and and having the coaching and seeing a different way of viewing things and I was sat it was New Year's Eve and I had a little girl by then she was three and I'd split up with her dad and I think she must have been at her dad's for this New Year's and I said to my friend oh you're going out on New Year's Eve and she was like oh no we can't get a sitter she was like are you going out and I was like I don't know I don't know if I'm bothered and I went oh I'll tell you what I'll babysit for you and you used to go out because they never used to get to like go out that often etc so I'm a sat now bearing in mind she is some she's got this huge house seven bedroom house swimming pool three beautiful children like still not the life I was living I didn't Mm -hmm. I still don't have a swimming pool in my house (laughs) But it was very different. And I remember contemplating at that moment on that New Year's Eve, right, come on, Jude, set some intentions for the Mm -hmm. year ahead and really stick to them. And by February, I'd taken action over all the things that I wanted to do. And one of the main things was to become a coach myself. The plan was always in my head by the time, and Sophia was only three at this point, maybe she was, no, she could have only been about three or four that when she gets to secondary school so I gave myself a good wide berth I wasn't really trying to push this by the time she get to secondary school I would be doing coaching full-time okay so that was the next kind of like life pivoting moment where Mm. I sat there Mm. and I was like okay I'm sick of juggling now because I used to work away all the time and I've got a little girl and you know I'd ring my mom and go on a Sunday, oh, I need you to do this this week. Can you pick up this? I'll do this pick up. You do that drop off. Da, da, da. And it was a balance, a real balance, a fine balance. And I thought, yeah, I want, I don't want to be going into secondary school. Knowing what I know about how tough it was for me, yeah. I cannot be doing this job when she goes to secondary right. school. And I remember thinking, if I can bottle and give what I got from my experience to someone else, again that's life-changing for me mm-hmm. so I did my performance coaching qualification and again surprised myself because it was the first time I'd ever got an A for anything oh. I've ever done like <laughs> Jude, it was meant to be right <laughs> and even my mom was so proud she was like telling all the people at work oh my daughter's got an A and then some work I just submitted total bragging right she's never she would never have been able to brag before that about my um academic work so that was amazing amazing and it felt really good there was a point I remember when I was doing the study in where I I shut the laptop because I would do it on a night time when Sophia was in bed I shut the laptop and I cried my eyes out and I thought I can't do it like I'm not saying this was an easy journey it mm. wasn't because I'm not academic mm. and I remember shutting the laptop and crying my eyes out one realizing I've never been this low for 10 years since I'd had my coaching right. yeah how long it was before that yeah I think it was roughly about 10 years by the time I started doing it so it's pushed, uh, so you, maybe pushed you to your limit sort of thing yeah mm. and I 
was like, oh my God, I am sat in my kitchen crying my eyes out. What is going on? I never thought I'd be back here again was my first thought because when we get back there, we we go back to our negative thought process. Mm. And luckily, because of the course that I was doing, you get a mentor. Thank God he was the coach. He was like, right, let's go through this. That's what's going on, what's going on. Uh, and I remember going back to a time of this feels like school and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm scared. And we worked through all of that and I came out the other end of it. So I now know I have very specific triggers because we all do that are specific to us. And it's where I, whenever I step outside my comfort zone, if I do something, what I deem as academic, Mm. yeah, that I'm going to have a little bit of a wobble. Okay. I'm going to have a bit of a wobble. Mm. Yeah. A bit of a self-doubt, but I check in with that because if we were to gauge a scale of one to 10, and I do this with all my clients now, mm. if 10 is super happy and zero is your lowest mood, anxiety, depression. So if we count that zero as my three moments, yeah. Yeah. then where are you sitting? So mm. now I always sit at around an eight or a nine, wow. 10 saved for like holidays okay. and like, you know, the day you get married, whatever. Yeah. Not always going to be a 10, but an eight or a nine is what I consistently strive to stay at because that's my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That feels comfortable for me. So anything less than that, I need to check in. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not feeling a hundred percent, you know, you have those moments, like I know if I put the key in the door of my office and I'm not excited to go to work, Mm -hmm. something's wrong. Right. I guarantee you it's because there's something on my to-do list that I'm like scared about. That's (laughs) interesting. Okay. Okay. But I know this. I know myself so well that I, hand on my heart, will never slip down that slippery slope of anxiety and depression because I gauge myself all the time. And it's Mm -hmm. not even, it's not a conscious thing. It's not like today, how am I doing? Yeah. me and my daughter have got this now where I'll go, right, tell me how was school one to 10. So she'll like, <laughs> it's only good if you ever ask a child how their day has been, they're like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> yes, so true. Like 10, I get a good gauge of yeah. whether I like, ask more questions or just stand yeah. well back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, so it's not a conscious thing anymore. It's just subconscious of like, how am I feeling? And if I'm not feeling eight or a nine, I need to do that check-in work. Mm. I need to become my own life coach and go, right, what are you, what's going on for you? What are you procrastinating over? What are you fearful of? You know, it could just be my mum, God rest her soul, passed away last year, which again, incredibly Mm. traumatic. And, you know, and and again, I say this, we're all going to have times in our lives where we can't control an outcome you know, there's going to be a, a, a shit situation. There's going to mm. be something awful that happens. Mm-hmm. And it's how you deal with that. And mm. it wasn't expected, although she was in, in poor health. Loved a cigarette, did my mom. So <laughs> she didn't have the best of lungs. Um, however, I made sure in those moments when we were going through that 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 process of her being she was in a coma for for six days um before she passed away so we were in hospital Mm. all of that time I'd only come home to get changed etc I would take moments to kind of think okay I think of all the lovely times that I've had with her like hold her hand and stuff and you know and and when she passed I remember sitting in my office back at work the next day because that's my comfort Gosh. zone. <laughs> yeah. I did cry okay. in a session that was probably not the oh. best, but it was fine. <laughs> and he told me yeah, it was that the guy I was coaching was fine with it. because uh, it was just a mile to you. Um <laughs> I remember sitting in my office and it was just filled with flowers. You know, I'm mm. I'm very lucky I'm in a building where it's full of amazing businesses. The cafe downstairs had like pulled together some money and sent me oh. some flowers. I had friends sending us flowers to the office and my office was full. And there's a real contrast between, I remember distinctly when, when Stephen passed away, mm-hmm. his grandma's lawn was covered in flowers. You know, he was, he yeah. was, he was 18, just turned 18. Yeah. So it was tragic. And there was flowers everywhere. And I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to walk into a florist again because that smell. Right take me back there Mm -hmm. and it was 
awful. And yet here I am, the second worst bereavement I could possibly imagine was obviously mm. my mom, because I always remember thinking, okay, I'm coping, I'm coping, but if I ever lose my mum, that would kill me. Yeah. I remember thinking that distinctly when I was mm. in my early 20s. And there I am, 39, and I've lost my mum. And instead, looking at those flowers that came to my door, I remember just feeling a warm comfort inside, thinking, oh, my God, thank God I've got people who care. Like, And this outpouring of love, you know, really yeah. is what it was. And what it yeah. was for Stephen as well. But yeah. it's just that the way that you process. cope with it and processes it at the time, isn't it? 100%. And I process things very, very differently now. And, you know, again, there's been there's been moments that, that, that have been tough, um, you know, in the last month, my stepbrother took his own life Jeez. while he was out in the Navy. And that has been really tough as a family. Now, sorry, it was my dad's wife, my stepmom's son and you know, you came into our life when he was maybe nine, didn't see that. He's a nine-year-old mm. boy. He doesn't want to talk to mm. <laughs> So we weren't, we weren't close, mm. uh, not in a bad way. We just, you know, yeah. different lives, etc. However, to know that my dad and his wife were about to embark on something that I went through as a 16-year-old, I remember thinking, oh, my God, this, this is going to be tough. And again, you have to go deep on the work that you're going to do because I didn't want to make it my grief, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had to do a lot of inner work that first week that we found out to make sure that I wasn't projecting any of my grieving from what happened to my 16-year-old me onto them. And I've done the work and and it's I feel like I can support them in the near the way that I need to. But again, you have to go a bit deep, you know, and and I could sit here and tell you all the things that have gone on in my life that are Mm. traumatic. Mm. However, I choose not to see that. And I will tell you how amazing my life's been and how like you know god the girl that I thought could do nothing and that she would just end up working like I didn't even want to pass my test because I didn't think I'd be able to afford a car because I didn't think I'd be able to get a job good enough to afford a car like Mm -hmm. that's how little I thought of myself Mm. to then you know becoming highly regarded and in the career that she had well thought of well liked you know like I have to acknowledge that I am well liked and people do, you know, I was in head office in my old head office before I I left. I used to work for Topshop Topman, great people to work with, I have to say, tainted only by the man that owned it, but the rest of them were amazing. And I was known as the Geordie with the beehive because (laughs) like everyone just knew who I was because I will go in anywhere and I am Mrs. Chatterbox. That is one mm. of my biggest trends, you know, thank <laughs> God, because in the work that I do now, it puts people at ease. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I know that, but I also know I'm always going to have development areas and I'm really excited to work on them continuously because when you're in your 30s, you're going to learn stuff about yourself that you need to kind of work on when you're in yeah. your 40s, the same, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Like, yes, yes, yes. I don't I know what that. it looks like to have a child who goes to university and leaves mm-hmm. home. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to do internal work to deal with that, you yeah. know, like like I'm doing internal work to deal with a 14-year-old and what yeah. she's going through. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you just you've got to keep doing the work on yourself to be able to get the best outcomes you want in each area of your life. You've got to go internally all the time. But that doesn't mean to say that I'm sat there every day <laughs> reflecting on who I am. I'm not. No. It's, it's the lovely subconscious work that I feel like coaching gets you to do because yeah. everything, you know, the two key traumatic areas of my life were never the situations it was my thoughts about it you know if we we remove the first and the third yeah that first was my thoughts about how I would apply myself to work yes the third 
was a replica of that. How am I going to apply myself to work? Because my thoughts and feelings are I'm not good enough and that I'm not going to be able to achieve anything and that I'm the thick one. doesn't matter whether I was 11 or 23, I still had that thought system. And if I hadn't have done that internal work, you would not see me sat here today in everything that I've done since, you know, like I coached on MTV the other month uh, on a reality (laughs) TV show where there was cameras in my face while I was coaching. And, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have guts to do something like that. You've got to believe in yourself, even just a little bit, just to get over that line of fear. And I've been on ITV News, like doing little segments and things like I have absolutely pushed myself far out of my comfort zone, far beyond what I thought I could do. And that is because I don't have that voice in my head anymore. I, I just that. don't. I yeah. love that so much. And I think your whole story is this journey of empowerment and transformation and I think it's just so incredible I'm so grateful to you for telling us and sharing with us this story because it it's so incredible to see that whole progression from start to finish because it's huge like you say you've you've done this internal work and I loved what there was a couple of points there that I was like yes 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 Jude I love that (laughs) and it was one of them was about continuing to do the internal work because we sort of have this idea that I don't really know why but I know that I've had this idea of you do the work and then you've done that thing but actually as as time's gone on I've learned that the the internal work is a continual thing and you continue to show up for that work and then you see changes in in your external world but the internal stuff is just so important and that's where the real transformations happen because just like circling back to something you said earlier the, the opinion that really matters about us is ours. And once yeah. you get control over that and you start to begin to feel good things about yourself and believe good things about yourself, the other opinions don't matter anything like as much as yours. And once you you have that, you've got so much freedom to do the things that you're really passionate about. You've got freedom yeah. to try and fail because you know by trying, you're then actually reaching for the things that you really want. And you don't worry so much about whether people see you failing because you're thinking about the big goal you're thinking about the things that you really really want and I think there's just so much for people to get from this incredible journey that you've had and and it sounds as though there's been a number of really important things but that life coaching was the thing that really shines as as the the pivotal moment for you I wonder if there's you know anything else that you think actually the life coaching and you know the internal work or whether it was what else is there that you think those are the key things so key takeaways i think for me are, are so the life coaching was the starting point mm-hmm. the starting point of the growth for me to realize and there is another way to view the world that yeah. actually life isn't tough mm-hmm. it's only tough if you choose it to be tough like life can be pretty amazing <laughs> God is sitting that space. Now, the other key things are, I remember the key moment I removed the fear of what other people think. Mm. Right. And if I got time to share this, is that yes, all right? please. Yeah, yes. please do. That's fine. Um, okay, so, because what you said was brilliant because you, you were talking about there about focus on the outcome and that's what drives you forward and and that's 100% that's you know that's a big thing that I say to my clients but I also say to me like focus on the outcome you want not the one that you fear yeah because your actions will always be in the positive you're focusing on the focus mm. on the outcome you want the other key thing is to remove the fear of what other people think and that came for me at the moment that I was ready to end the relationship with my daughter's father okay now it wasn't the relationship had kind of just run its course. Okay. And we had done, you know, therapy for a year, okay. like, you know, read books, everything, done everything to try and make it work. Because what I didn't want was to look, was for him to look back and think, well, we didn't try. Like mm. I knew in my head that I was ready to walk away from it because I wasn't happy. Mm. I was a smoker at the time. Okay. Stopped to try and encourage my mom to stop smoking. So at least that's one good thing that I did. <laughs> so I was a smoker at the time. So I would put my daughter to bed and I'd go and sit on my tin of paint in the garage 
have a cup of coffee and ring my best friend Kelly and we would try and put the world story out while I was sitting mm. with my coffee and having a cigarette <laughs> and the topic used to always be about me kind of struggling no one I needed to leave felt mm. like I was stuck in a negative mm. area when I really wanted to be on this positive path and just really struggling to make that that decision and when I got to that decision right bearing in mind you know we'd done therapy yeah, we'd, we'd broke up go back together like I, I was ready to kind of hand in the towel and I was done and I was like I've got to do this got to do this and immediately the thought popped into my head of what will my auntie Steph think right mm. my mum came from a family where her mum and dad had a lot of siblings so therefore there's a lot of cousins in my mom's family Mm. and my auntie Steph was one of my mum's cousins and for whatever reason uh and and bearing in mind my auntie Steph at that point lived down London I'm from Newcastle she lived down London I didn't see it and I could count Mm. on both hands how many times I'd actually seen her in my whole life it was like weddings 60th anniversary funerals Mm. like they were the times I saw my auntie Steph never outside of that mm. but to me to sit there on my little pot of paint <laughs> about to make a huge decision that was going to stop me seeing because this was one of the biggest things that I was really struggling with is I knew if I separated from him I would see my daughter 50% less yeah. that's a yeah. big yeah. thing huge and yet the thought came into my my mind was what would my auntie Steph think And then that was a real big light bulb moment for me to go, am I seriously going to make a life decision based (laughs) on what my auntie Steph thinks? Right. Actual fact, she Mm. wouldn't think anything. Mm. But I had internalized this as, okay, out of my generation of the cousins, you know, that I was the one who would be the single parent. You know, there was only me and my sister out of all the cousins at that point that had had children. Okay. I was the one that wasn't married and now would be single. I was Mm. putting those labels on myself, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know what? Nobody else cares. Like genuinely, nobody else cares what they're doing. We make ourselves far too important in other people's lives by worrying what they think. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was doing with my auntie Steph. Like I was genuinely making myself far too important by thinking she would Mm -hmm. even care Mm -hmm. that I was now a single parent. Mm -hmm. It would have been that quick and yet here I am on my tin of paint thinking oh my god but what what would people think yeah yeah and and, and I have this tool and I want everyone to take this away this tool is amazing for for really getting to the core of what do people worrying what people think first of all question who are you worrying about so Mm. really pick out that specific person right so for me it was my only step okay what would they actually think? Like, would she just be watching the TV and not really caring? Would she just get on with her with her life? Would she just be going to work? Would she actually care about my little life in that big context? Because most of the time when we worry what other people think, they're not thinking anything. Do you know mm. what? They've got a huge list. They're cracking on with that. Right. Like people they're worried have their about... own stuff, you know? They've got their own yeah. things going on. They're thinking to be... about how they're going to get the kids' uniform in time yeah. because the kids start in a week, you know? They're thinking about what they're going to have for tea. Mm. They're thinking about, oh, my God, I've got to, I don't know, book the car in for an MOT. Like, mm. really nobody cares. And, and the fact that we put those constraints on ourselves and we stop ourselves doing certain things. And, you know, I would say, yes, it was a huge pivotal point for me, but it still showed up early on in my coaching career because mm. – content that I would put out would be like so beige because I was like I can't put that out because what will such and such think right yeah so it has to you have to acknowledge a when you're doing it be who you're worried about and then go back to come on what are you trying to achieve yeah Mm. so the thing that I was trying to achieve was to get out of a relationship that was making me unhappy because if I was unhappy I couldn't then be happy when I was with my daughter you know like things a change yeah so even if my auntie Steph had an opinion which she would know she's lovely even if my auntie Steph had had an opinion on that so what it's not her life 
Right. <laughs> Do you know, and I love what you said there, because I think it's a really important tool to just be able to switch your thinking around to the impact on your life and the impact on other people's lives. The impact on your life is huge and mm-hmm. in, like significantly improving your mood and how things are for you, even though potentially breakups are difficult financially and otherwise yeah. it's not always a straight line of it being a no. definitely a, a good thing. But, you know, you've got to think about your general how you feel in yourself and how much impact that's going to have and then the impact that's going to have in other people's lives is going to be so small by comparison because they've got their own stuff going on it's just a piece of information and Mm. then that's so much freedom when you sort of step through that you know and your vision can become bigger for what you want for yourself your vision can become more important than what other people think of you and then that is a place of so much freedom where you can be doing whatever you want to be doing because Yes, people might have an opinion, but the opinion that matters about you is yours. And that's the opinion that you need to earn the respect of. You know, if you know that you've done right by yourself and you've done the things that you're passionate about and you know that you've you've showed up in the biggest, best possible way that you could and you might have got it wrong, but you still gave it a go because you didn't want to get to the to the end of all this and think, I wonder what would have happened if, you know, yeah. if you're able to let that be bigger than the, the sort of, excitement the love the passion the enthusiasm can take much bigger space in your life than the fear of what other people think and and actually that's a much more fun place to play right (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. absolutely absolutely it's like you know the difference when I signed for my office I could have thought one of two ways oh my god what was if what was if I feel like I have to shut this down and I have to empty it out? What will people think? Or I could be thinking, oh my God, this is so exciting. People mm. get to come to my office and right. I get to Right, I get to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Like, the energy is so different. Yeah. So yeah. different. You know, I might have still made it work in that space of fear of like, oh my God, mm. what if I have to hand the keys back one day? Yeah. But the energy I would have put into my business would have been so low, yeah. so low, and I would have been fearful, and I yeah. wouldn't have been able to show. Whereas, like, I want people in this space in my office. I want it filled back to back. Like, I love it. But there is always two ways of looking at it, something. But you have to look at the outcome you want all the time. All yes. the time. Love that. And we've touched on it, but tell us your your short but sweet pitch about what it is that you do, because we've touched on it and given people lots of teasers, but I want to have the full shebang. You know what? In a nutshell, I give people what I got mm. and it's, it, it's mindset coaching and it is removing those anxieties, removing those mental blocks, whatever label you put on yourself or or the belief you've had as a child, because that's how you were conditioned to think. And it's never about raking up the past and blaming people. It's about going, okay, but do you realize you think this way? Mm. And then implement everything so that whatever anyone wants to do, they become a success at. So whether you are struggling with mental blocks because you pick the wrong people or you're too nervous when you go out on dates or you want a career change or just I don't know imposter syndrome like exactly what I had like actually you got everything you wanted mm-hmm. now what right now you, you're sat on the top going oh my god what was if I lose it like that is the stuff that I work on all of that anxiety and I do it from a place of so much gratitude that I get to do it I do it from a place of remembrance of Stephen and just thinking Mm. wow like a he would be so freaking proud of us like so (laughs) proud like so proud but also for his memory like I don't want his life to have been wasted in a Mm. way and I feel like the fact that I get to help people with their mental health like that's the thing that gets us so emotional meaningful. that's the thing that touched because yeah. wow like yeah who'd have thought who'd that's have thought given me goosebumps that's giving me goosebumps just talking about it and I I love that I really honor that because I think that's what we're here for right to be yeah. really lit up and be really excited and passionate and feel like it's worth it the struggle is worth it because I get to do this too like I get to support people I get to do it 
all the time and I love it oh dude <laughs> oh I just want to give you a big squeeze <laughs> I wish I could give you a cuddle oh my gosh I know I'm just so grateful to you for everything oh, that you've shared you so it's been an incredible hour and a bit just incredible I wish I could just... do this every day <laughs> No, thank you so much. And thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. You know, it's so important for people to hear this message and to hear all of these moments of transformation and and, and why you get up and do what you do, because that's what it's all about. You know, that is what it's all about. Love it so much. so much you are welcome what is the best way if people are thinking i want to work with jude how do they do it what's the best way to get in touch with you there's easy there's only one jude don't okay so it's it's jude don't d-a-u-n-t and everything is connected to that so it's jude don't coaching my website is judontcoaching.co.uk and all my social platforms you will find me under judontcoaching it's not complicated get in touch if you want change and you want the transformation, please do get in touch. I love that. Thank you so, so much. Massively appreciate it. What an incredible episode. I hope that you got as much from this as I did because there was just so much incredible content in there. Remember that you can connect with Jude by clicking the links attached to the podcast and that will take you straight through to the show notes where all of her details are so you can get in touch if this resonated with you. Also, if you want to let us know what you thought, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Google or just get in touch with us directly. If you would like to support us going forward, you can also click through to the website at dawnbreaks.co.uk and if you click through to the donate tab, you can contribute towards what we're doing here. Otherwise, take really good care and you'll hear from me soon.